episode 170, Heroes Reborn, volume 2. Time travelers, and welcome back to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, one of your comic book time travelers here to go back in time just, I don't know, a month? Well, depending on when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this when it first comes out, then yes, it's about a month. Um, if you're listening to this next year, then you're really traveling back in time. But, uh, you know, the whole thing, the whole concept of the comic book time machine is we're reading comics that are 80 years old or eight days old. And so here we are with another fairly recent, recent series, Heroes Reborn. But before I get into Heroes Reborn, I do want to, again, apologize for the previous episode. Apologies to Matt Anderson and Daniel Butcher for not getting that thing out at Christmas time when we were supposed to get it out and that one was on me 100%. So Matt, Daniel, sorry about that. Um, but we did get it out and, and I'm glad to have gotten it out. So yeah. So now let's talk about Heroes Reborn. Heroes Reborn is a television miniseries that did not live up to the promise of the ongoing TV series that did not live up to the promise of the premise that it burst onto the scene with. And it is also not at all what I'm going to be talking about in, in this episode. Rather, I'm going to be talking about the comic book miniseries that capitalized on the recognizable naming of the 1996 image creator-led reboot of many Marvel titles. That series was an attempt to catch some of the hotness of Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, uh, pulling the Fantastic Four and the Avengers out of the regular Marvel Universe and creating this new rebooted pocket universe that has all sorts of convoluted plot developments that I sort of followed from the sidelines when it happened, but I never actually had the chance or the money to follow the entire thing. Uh, there were other comics I was interested in at the time, and I just didn't care enough about it then. Now, however, I'm extremely interested in it as these kind of nexuses of creative and marketing challenges they're, they're, that are, especially when they're somewhat self-contained, they really do intrigue me. And so I still haven't dipped my toes into that original Heroes Reborn series, and I haven't even looked into the pricing of the individual issues, and I haven't even looked into the pricing of the collected editions. I know that there is an omnibus edition that I'm interested in, but that is pricey, and I'm not really interested in buying books that are over $100, even if it is a good value. Now, don't get me wrong. I do like those omnibus books that they have out there, um, but when I get them, I get them when you get that uh, discount on Amazon. <laughs> okay, so the discount on the Heroes Reborn 
Omnibus is like $6 off. Uh, the omnibuses I got at the Swamp Thing and the Man Thing and the Marvel Horror, they were all significantly discounted when I ordered them. And so now they are just on my bookshelves looking handsome and heavy. <laughs> and they're on my bookshelves and I like having them there. But like I said, significant discounts when I bought them. And even with the discounts, they were a little, little pricey for me. Now, however, I do think that I may um, get the Marvel Unlimited. Actually, I shouldn't say may get it. I may re, I may keep it. I have a week of free Marvel Unlimited that I signed up for it just before, as I was researching this episode, and uh, to read Avengers number eighteen, which was something that's related to Colson that I'll talk about. And so um, maybe before that week is out, I'll try and, and read uh, that Heroes Reborn if it's on there or maybe not. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Anyway, um, that Heroes Reborn is not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about Heroes Reborn Volume 2, which is Jason Aaron's Heroes Reborn has some similarities to that original concept and that there's a world and the heroes of that world are reborn <laughs> into something new and it's kind of a pocket universe. But it also has nothing to do with that original concept because uh, it's not a continuation. It's a whole new thing, a whole new concept. And I was not sure what to expect. I was drawn into it because I saw some of the preview art, one of them being uh, preview art showing uh, Philip Coulson running for president. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is something I'm interested in because I'm following Phil Coulson and I'm trying to follow him in the Marvel Universe, but I haven't been buying some of the stuff that he's been in because you'll find out what happens in that Avengers issue number 18. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not exactly happy with where they're taking his character. And, you know, it's one of those things where the stuff that I like about his character, I have, and it's not going away. Um, but the new stuff I'm not getting because eh, maybe I'll go back and get it. I don't know. depends on what happens after this. We'll see. So anyway, this is a concept that that drew me in, but then as I was finding out more about it, I found out this this fits my wheelhouse in a couple other ways. Obviously, this is pushing forward the story of Agent Coulson, and I think I'm probably one of the only people in the world um, who is you know reading this to see oh what's going to happen next with with my character Coulson. You know? And secondly, it's mostly self-contained. Mostly, there are things that I think are going to have repercussions for the future especially the last couple of pages of the final issue of this mini series. It's definitely setting something up and setting something up. That's kind of interesting, but not interesting enough that I feel like I'm going to be wanting to follow it and just see where it goes. But it's, it's interesting and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it is interesting. Um, and also going into it, you do need to know about some of the things that happen uh, in the Avengers leading up into this. And uh, Jason Aaron, he laid the foundation for what was coming here. But I do believe you can pick this up and mostly understand what's going on. It's mostly self-contained. Okay. Um, like I said, 
this is also pushing forward the story of Agent Coulson. So that's in my wheelhouse. I'm going to sigh a little bit right here because I'm not sure how much how much I'm going to spoil of this story. I think I can talk about the main series in generalities. I think I can actually talk about it and talk about the things that I really dig and the things that I don't like without giving away too much, except for when I'm going to talk about specifics of the final fate of Coulson in this series. And that's something that can't be talked about without spoiling much because, I mean, just by its nature, I'm talking about the final fate of a character. Not that he dies, but the final fate of the character in the story, I should say. And, you know, the final stuff is at the end. And one of the worst kinds of spoilers is giving away the ending, right? So I tried talking about it with uh, Casey from my local comic shop and tried to dance around it, but it was not an easy conversation to have without like actually saying, Hey, so this is what I didn't like about this because this is what happened to the character. And yeah, so we need to talk about Colson. We're going to talk about Colson, but um, yeah, so that was it's a self-contained story. I like that. It's about Colson. We'll talk about that. And third is the what if thing. This is a alternate universe that kind of asks a question of what if and what would the universe, the Marvel universe be like if there was this one change. And I love what if stories, especially because a lot of times they're very easy for you to step into. If you just know a little bit about the characters, if you know who Batman is and you've seen you know, you've read some Batman comics, seen a Batman movie, and then you pick up an Elseworlds Batman thing, you're probably going to enjoy it because it's going to take the um, the big picture of who Batman is, and it is going to use that to tell a new story. And so they're, they're pretty easy to step into. Um, the same idea with what they were doing for Marvel with season one weren't great and with dc with earth one which those graphic novels are very very good they're taking the core of the character and they're telling a a new story in a new universe that doesn't have all the baggage and so that's one of the things i like about what if stories now this is not doing a what if story about you know, what if Spider-Man did this thing different? This is what if the whole universe or at least earth uh, developed differently for a little while. And so it's not quite exactly a, a what if more of an else worlds, but it is something that again, falls into my wheelhouse. So here's the deal. Uh, this is an event book and normally I stay away from those, but this event work it works. Point one that I was just talking about being self-contained point three about it being a what if both make it work because those things are done well. They're done so well. Like I said, there are a couple bits that make my, might make it hard to get into. First of all, the current Avengers con- continuity uh, blade is apparently right now a very important part of the Avengers. I knew he was in the Avengers, but I just hadn't read anything that he was in really. And so that was a little bit jarring for me when (laughs) Blade is one of the primary characters who's carrying this story. And as we step into this alternate universe, 
he is the the audience surrogate. I mean, he's he's the one who's coming in asking all the questions that we, the readers, are also asking. He's also the Guinan. He is the character who is like Guinan from the episode Yesterday's Enterprise, where there's a timeline that's going along, and it's a regular timeline, and then all of a sudden it switches, and they're in an alternate universe where there was a, a thing that happened in the past that wasn't supposed to happen, and the timeline is now warped, and it's wrong, and Guinan is the only one who recognizes that there's something wrong with this timeline. And so when the plot starts moving, she's the one who's also kind of giving exposition, but also pushing Picard to be like, you know, this timeline's wrong. So we got to do some things. You got to trust me. And, and the story happens and it's one of the best episodes of Star Trek Next Generation ever. And possibly one of the best episodes, not possibly one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Well, anyway, Blade is guying in here. He knows something is wrong, so he's going to set it right. Uh, the difference is he knows something is wrong because he remembers everything from the universe the way it's supposed to be. It's not just a feeling that he has. He's literally just looking at everything and being like, this, is, this isn't this is right. Where's my friends and where are vampires? There's no vampires in the world. He can't sense any vampires. And um, you know, what's a vampire hunter supposed to do when there's no vampires? He's got to fix the timeline just so he can kill vampires, right? So what's wrong? Well, um, the Avengers never formed and Captain America was never found, which is kind of, you know, one of the big parts of this to, to borrow from the Loki series, the, the Nexus event. And we are now in this variant universe, but Blade is himself and he remembers. And so he is now on a quest that involves going out and trying to find Captain America and thawing out the capsicle and convincing Thor to put down the mug and pick up the hammer and finding the Phoenix Force, which is one of those things where, okay, I know what the Phoenix Force is. I have no idea what's going on with the Phoenix Force in Avengers right now. Um, on Marvel Unlimited, when I was looking at that Avengers number 18, I did notice that fast forward to the 40s, there is a whole mini event going on in the pages of Avengers that has to do with the Phoenix Force, but I don't know what all that is that's going on there. It wasn't, it didn't throw me out of the story though. I was able to follow it along because I knew, oh, Phoenix, you know, from, from the eighties. And because of that, they have to go up against the squadron Supreme. You see in regular continuity, squadron Supreme was working with general Ross and led by Coulson. Uh, and that's because, uh, well, you see, Coulson was killed by Deadpool and then was brought back to life by Mephisto. And when he was brought back to life because Captain America was Hydra when he told Deadpool to kill Coulson because Coulson was on to what was going on with Captain America and was getting cl too close to the truth that Captain America was Hydra. So he, Captain America had Deadpool's trust, told Deadpool to kill Coulson. So now when Coulson comes back to life, he hated Captain America and the Avengers now. So then Mephisto used Coulson and the Pandemonium Cube to rewrite reality, erase the Avengers from world history. And now we have a new America with new defenders, not the team defenders, but new defenders of America. And those new defenders are the Squadron 
supreme. And they aren't great, but they are great because they're powerful, but they're not great because they're kind of not great people, but they are great because they are well-written characters. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. (laughs) I'm going to keep it in. (laughs) So we have a corrupt Coulson, and he is also the president of the United States. Then we have Hyperion, who is everything you would fear the most from a just super Boy Scout Superman. Uh, You have Nighthawk, who is everything you would fear the most from a politician slash dark vigilante. You have Dr. Spectrum, who is everything you would fear the most from a color-based, super-powered madman. You have Blur, Blur, who is everything you would fear the most from a short attention span speedster. And you have Power Princess, who is everything you'd fear the most from a self-centered daughter of the gods. So you have the Boy Scout, the vigilante, the color-based superpowered dude, the speedster, the daughter of the gods. Does it all sound familiar? And it should. Squadron Supreme was a a pastiche of the Justice League of America from the 70s. And they also, in the 80s, starred in one of the greatest limited maxi-series of the 1980s. Nay, of the 20th century, (laughs) maybe even of all time. It's a great 12-issue miniseries that has a beginning, a middle, an end, and it's all about taking that Justice League of America and just taking it to the next level of what could happen if they were to assert their authority and and use their power for the common good, but use it in a way that takes away, you know, freedoms and stuff. And um, so it's kind of just a dystopia, but at the same time, it's you know, just exploring like, what if these characters, what if the justice league of America was real in our, our world? And actually what's kind of interesting is this does delve into that as well. Uh, so anyway, those characters also crossed over into the Marvel universe from their own a few different times. And so here in the regular Marvel universe, they were working with Coulson and I only read one issue from the Avengers stuff. Um, to kind of follow up and just kind of figure out what's going on with Colson and these guys. That was that issue number 18, which we'll talk about because we got to talk about Colson. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, Colson was working with them, using them. And then when Mephisto and Colson created this new universe and rewrote the universe or rebooted the universe, um, which is the title of one of the comics, they were the state sponsored protectors and they're brutal and they're efficient and they are true believers. They believe in what they do. They believe in Coulson and that's the setup for what this universe is like. And I like that enough. Like that's, that's, that's enough. But then you get into the actual presentation of the story and the style of the story. And there's just so much good stuff going on. This is well written, 
well drawn, well created. I really enjoyed the whole thing as I was reading it. You see, each character, each issue has a different point of view character. Um, Blade is the point of view character in issue one. He's kind of exploring the universe, finding out what's going on in the world and letting us know what's going on. And then you have the narration in issue two is Hyperion. And then the, the narrator for issue three is Blur. Issue four is Dr. Spectrum. Nighthawk is the narrator for issue five. Point of view for issue six is Power Princess. And in issue seven, there's not really any narration. It just kind of jumps around all over the place and is kind of bringing together the loose ends from all those other issues. And then there's a finale, which is Heroes Return. So you have issues one through seven of Heroes Reborn and then Heroes Return number one is the final issue really of the whole series. And that is narrated by Coulson. And then also, I don't think it's a spoiler to say everything does get reset by the end and it brings everything full circle. It's narrated by Blade. And one of the things I appreciate about having Blade there actually is that we don't have the Star Trek Voyager Year of Hell ending, which I hate when a time travel story goes back, creates this new thing this thing's happening everything's bad everything's bad and it's you got a new normal going on and new this and new that and and it's, everything's just horrible and then we use time travel to reset everything and no one remembers anything uh and so it's like it never happened well i mean it did happen we got to watch it all happen but as far as the characters are concerned it means nothing to them and yesterday's enterprise actually comes close to that except within the episode you see that Guinan remembers it's right now <laughs> and she has a vague memory of it being wrong, you know, but now it's right. But then also because it involves time travel, when the timeline was reset and fixed in a later season, they drew on some of those strings and were able to say, well, when the timeline was fixed, this happened and there were actual consequences to them. And I appreciated that. But Year of Hell was not like that at all. They start the episode and everything is normal. And then you go through, actually, it's two episodes. And then by the, the end, there's Voyager, just the, the ship and the characters have been reset as if nothing happened. And I don't like that. Well, here at least we have a couple characters, not just Blade. Blade is the one who helps us with the resolution of what's going on. But then you have a character who wants to bring back the other universe because they fixed it and he doesn't like that it's fixed. And I like that. So anyway, um, Blade is the narrator of that one. Uh, some of the issues have a short backup story though, and that allows other narratives to be moved forward. Even if the narrator of the issue was not there to comment on that. So eight issues, one story, and it works. There is strong character work going on here. The characters have their own agendas. The characters have their own motivations. And these agendas and motivations push the plot forward, which that's interesting enough, even if the end result is not a surprise. Okay, so yes, we know where this is inevitably going to end things are going to be fixed, but um, then it doesn't become so much what is going to happen, but how is it going to happen? And 
what's going to happen to these characters as it is happening. The choice to use a different character point of view is effective, and it takes this story kind of a step above from just being a uh, the world is about to end kind of a story and we just have to do superhero stuff, you know, but instead it puts you in the head of the different characters and it also allows you to get to know characters you may not be familiar with. The world building is also really cool as you get to see some characters that you do know in that what if mode. Now, Hyperion, Power Princess, Nighthawk, all of them, I've read them before. I kind of know vaguely who they are, but I'm not looking at this as a what if for those characters because I don't know them well enough in the same way that, you know, if Superman himself was, was the character, although we'll talk about that in a minute. However, you get to see characters you do know in a different light. And so you have, um, in some cases, well, you have Peter Parker, who is a Jimmy Olsen type of character who has no superpowers, but he's, you know, a, a photographer. You have Scarlet Witch, who absorbed her brother's powers when he died, when Quicksilver died, and she became Silver Witch. And so now she's a speedy sorceress. Um, we get to see Galactus, who has an absolutely awful ending. <laughs> In this world, Hyperion has killed Galactus. And, you know, there's results. There's results. And so as much as I don't like what they're doing with Coulson here, the world he's created in some ways is a little bit better because Galactus doesn't exist anymore in this world. We need to talk about Coulson. We'll, we'll talk about him later. <laughs> Tony Stark is just a businessman arms dealer. He's not Iron Man. He doesn't didn't have the accident with the explosion to put shrapnel in his heart that he needs the, the arc reactor or whatever and so on and so on. I talked about Captain America still frozen, you know, now I've explained in past episodes, my love for what if styles stories before I enjoy them in the many forms that they can take, uh, whether it's watching a movie or TV show that has taken a story or a character that I know and switch them a little bit to make them work on the screen a little better or a single issue. What if comic book that takes years of character development and then goes back a few years, makes one change and then retells the story with that one change and crams these years of what, what would be years of storytelling <laughs> into just 28 pages. And so they move around along at a pretty fast clip, but I, I love what if comics, then there's the prestige elseworld books that I love as well. That tend to be a little more high concept. What if stories tend to be, what if this story back then didn't happen the same way? What if Spider-Man saved Gwen Stacy or what if Spider-Man didn't become a superhero, but became a, an entertainer like he had planned to, to make money, you know, Elseworlds then kind of do a little bit broader kind of a thing, you know, um, what if Superman was raised Russian, you know, and then here's the life of that character, that kind of thing. And then there's also um, events like this or like Flashpoint, which Flashpoint just um, goes and, and takes the whole universe slightly off off center because of something that Dr. Zoom does. 
And then you get all these characters you like doing different things like Aquaman and the Atlanteans going to war against Wonder Woman and the Themyscirians. All right. And there's just some really neat stuff. And what I liked about Flashpoint is something similar to what I liked about here because Flashpoint, again, was self-contained. It was kind of ending one era. And then they were using Flashpoint where you have this whole new universe and then it kind of gets reset and then it starts a whole new era. But you take that summer of Flashpoint and I loved that entire series and all of the side issues and stuff like that. So, yeah, each of these that I'm talking about takes a character or a concept, you know, they strip it down to its core by placing it in a new scenario and then letting it play out. And the best ones explore the core characterization by keeping the original character or concept and placing it in new circumstances. So Clark Kent, Kal-El is going to be the same guy, the same by nature and then there's just a different nurture going on you know if his ship landed in russia or you know peter parker does this makes this one choice here but then under the skin he's the same guy and so even if he doesn't have the same story arc and instead of being spider-man superhero he's spider-man super celebrity in the end uh the choices he makes you know show us it's the same guy or if he makes different choices that cause him to you know, not be a hero, there's going to be consequences to that. And so maybe it's a tragedy, but anyway, heroes reborn is in that. What if wheelhouse, even though blade is the same guy and blade is there to fix what's wrong here. Um, Captain America is still Captain America when he's unfrozen and Thor might be a bitter drunkard, but he's going to be a heroic bitter drunkard because he's still Thor. One character I have trouble with who's not the same guy, and that's the character who I've talked about before, the major draw for me. I mean, look, I, I get it. If you're listening right now, you're probably wondering, why do I keep harping on Coulson? And I know I'm, like I said, okay, maybe not the world. Okay, maybe I'm not the only person in the world reading this to see what's going to happen to Coulson. But I'm going to guess I'm the only person in the tri-state area, okay, who's buying this to see how it pushes Coulson's character arc forward. When I got into this, I knew that Coulson was president. I knew that he was not going to be a good guy. I hoped, though, by the end there would be a turn and that there would be a thing where he's like, it was my plan all along with Fisto to do this and make you think that I'm working with you, but I'm not. And that he'd rebel against his demonic boss and he's the man with the plan and he knows all about Mephisto and so he has... He's going to turn the tables and I'm going to be careful of spoilers, but I was disappointed. The noble, genuine Coulson of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and of the movies and TV show and of the Marvel comics that we had where it was him with his Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. team and that guy's nowhere to be found here. You see in the comics... And in the MCU, Coulson's a hero. He's a genuine good guy. He's a good leader. He's a smart agent. He's the man with the plan because he looks at all the angles and he learns all the details. And we had a hashtag that we talked about on Welcome to Level 7, the podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
when Marvel's, Marvel's Agents of Shield was on, and a big part of our our hashtag uh, lingo was, "We are Coulson. Coulson is us." And in the comics, he was he was a kid who was learning about all the superheroes, and he was a superhero fanboy. <laughs> and in the movie, he was a superhero fanboy. He had the collectible cards and. He was genuine, he was noble, and then he was killed. <laughs> and that was a problem for me because, you see, Coulson is one of my favorite Marvel characters, and he was killed by Deadpool, and that stung because, you see, I hate Deadpool so much. And if you've listened to this podcast or really, I think any of the other podcasts, Welcome to Level 7 and Strangers and Aliens, I think I've talked about how I hate Deadpool as a character so much. I hate him more than I should hate any fictional character. There was a brief period where two of my favorite characters were found only in the pages of Deadpool comics. So that's the Swamp Monster Man-Thing, that's Coulson. That was bad enough. But then Deadpool goes and kills one of those favorite characters. Then I find out he's going to come back, and he comes back in the big giant anniversary issue of the Avengers, and he comes back in like one page, kind of a splash panel of him with the Squadron Supreme, and he's telling General Ross, I think it was General Ross, but he's telling him, we're ready. And he looks kind of not good. <laughs> and then there's Avengers issue number 18, which is a Coulson centric issue. And it shows the squadron Supreme of America doing their job, protecting America during the war of realms. And then there's some flashbacks as Coulson is sort of, I don't know, crafting them or creating them or programming them making them love America and making them want to protect America and take care of America. And they fight off some bad guys and they protect America from the bad guys, but the bad guys end up going away and they're like, they're going to go to Canada now, but we're not the squadron Supreme of Canada. So it doesn't matter. We're not going to take care of that. Then it shows Coulson eating dinner with Mephisto and he is working in service to Mephisto. And I hate that. I, I hate that they're doing that with this character. Uh, now, and that gets played into with this series, but just like when I hated that I was reading those Deadpool comics so I could read about Coulson <laughs> And read about man thing. I can't deny. I couldn't deny it then. And I can't deny it now. The craft that goes into this series. Those Deadpool comics were well written. They were. They were. And I can appreciate. Well written books. Well drawn books. Even if I hate Deadpool. I could understand and appreciate. There was some good stuff going on. With the way that they were writing him. The same thing here, even more so though, but the same thing here, this series, as much as I don't like what they do with Coulson. And I think after the credits, I'll get more spoilery with uh, the Coulson stuff just a little bit, but let's just say right now, if you don't want to be spoiled, 
the series doesn't necessarily leave Coulson in a very good place, but there's good storytelling happening here. There's thematic ideas that's going on here. There's the twist on in God we trust. And uh, thematically, that's a thing that's going on with that twist of what's going on in America in that universe. But also just the writing. There's a page turn where I had to flip back and be like, wait, what? You know, and it was so effective. And and a good page turn is, I don't know, it's like a sweet wine. Although I don't drink wine, so I don't know if wine's supposed to be sweet or not. So I'm I'm gonna say something different. It's it's like a perfectly grilled grilled cheese sandwich, you know. Um one of the things when I teach writing for comics, I teach about how you want to have a cliffhanger on every page on that right hand page. You want the bottom corner of the right hand page to be a cliffhanger that causes the reader to want to turn the page. Now, when I say a cliffhanger, it's, it can be something minor. It can be a line of dialogue that you're like, what are they going to say to that? Or it can be an emotional cliffhanger where it's like something happens. How is the character going to react to that? It doesn't have to be a giant cliffhanger. Now, at the end of the issue, that's where you want to put your giant cliffhanger because you want people to hang on until a month later and buy the next one. Um, But that cliffhanger where it's like you want that good page turn. You just want that good page turn. And there is a great page turn that involved me turning the page and then, like I said, turning back so I could see, like, what did it say on that money? Did it say what I thought it said on that money? Because when I turned the page without paying close attention and I was like, holy cow, <laughs> what is this? And then you turn it back. And so that that ties into the twist on the In God We Trust. That ties into the whole I Love America jingoism that you've got going with the primary squadron characters and Coulson. And, you know, some of that is a little heavy-handed storytelling, but but it works. It works. And the other thing that happens here is that even as these characters are doing things that aren't good or making choices that aren't great, or, you know, in Hyperion's case, like he really genuinely wants to do good, but is probably, you know, working with the wrong people because he's working with Mephisto through Coulson. He doesn't know it though, but, but he is, but the point of view storytelling that they use humanizes all the characters that it's critiquing. And that's what I really like here. It's easy to dehumanize people. It's easy to dehumanize character characters. In this case, you've got characters who are very much right wing characters and it'd be very easy to just paint them as caricatures or paint them as <laughs> even as something that you might look at and say, well, that's not a caricature. That's real life, you know, <laughs> and in real life, people are stupid like that and idiots like that. And, but it humanizes them because we have to remember that the, the person on the other side of every argument is still a human. And I think that there's a lot of validity to say that not every argument has, uh, you know, deserves to have equal time you know, presented to both sides, but we do have to remember that both sides are still human. They're still a person. And so what happens here is as awful as Dr. Spectrum might be, 
in this series, he's humanized. He's, he's awful, yes, but his awfulness doesn't happen in a vacuum. And you kind of see what's going on in his head that's, what is he thinking? How is he thinking about this? Same with Hyperion and Nighthawk and, and Coulson to an extent. extent. Um, he's just so completely out of character. <laughs> so uh, here's the other thing, though. We'll get to Coulson back to Coulson. Let's talk more about good things. I like, you know, so here's something else I appreciate. This is a seven issue miniseries with an eighth issue that has a different title, but is the final chapter. So heroes reborn issues one through seven. And then the final issue is heroes return issue number one, but it's a summer event. And that means that there are supporting spinoff titles all told 18 issues in this whole thing. I'm only talking about eight issues right now. My plan was just to buy the eight main issues and then poke around, see which of the other ones had Colson related stories. But I bought the Peter Parker one because it looked interesting, not because Colson was going to be in it. And after reading Heroes Reborn number two, I wasn't really excited about reading Peter Parker, the amazing Shutterbug, because the character as he was written in Heroes Reborn number two just felt kind of bland and kind of cliche. But I had Peter Parker, the amazing Shutterbug in my stack. So I went ahead and read it. After I read that issue, I went out and got all of the other one shot extra issues, all of them. I don't know if they're going to be as good. Okay. I haven't read through all of them yet. All of them are by different writers and by honestly by different teams, but the main series had different artists on, on each of the books to go along with a different character point of views. And that, you know, set a tone and worked with the character and worked with the, the style of the writing that was happening there. Now, Ed McGinnis does pencils on the opening issue, the closing issue and the backup stories in the middle chapters, but the one shots all have different writers. And so here's what happened. Peter Parker, the amazing Shutterbug, took a scene from the main series and gave it, gave not just the scene, but the, the character a depth and a context that couldn't be there in the main series. Now, first of all, it didn't need to be there. The story was fine without it. And as I was reading along, I'm reading issue number two and I'm fine. The character feels bland to me. Doesn't matter. He's a minor part of that whole issue. The story's fine without any contextualization of Peter Parker's character. Second thing is there wasn't even room for it to be there because the story is not about Peter Parker. It's about Hyperion. So we have Peter Parker show up and he's a part of Hyperion's story in the main series. But in the one shot, we see his backstory. We see who he is. And we see his perspective on that scene from the main series. And it brings a completely new context to that scene. We see that Hyperion's perspective is completely wrong. His perspective about the situation and about Peter Parker as a character. And it's kind of a riff on Jimmy Olsen because Hyperion is a riff on Superman. <laughs> um, but it gives gives it more depth and complexity and, and tragedy. And I liked it a lot. So my hope is that the other one shots are going to do something similar. Uh, the few that I've read have, have done that. But anyway, um, I back to that riff on Jimmy Olsen, this 
series, what's nice about it, when I said I liked What Ifs and Elseworlds, this works on both levels because this is a Marvel comic series that is a what if the Marvel Universe had this change to it and what would happen to those Marvel characters, Green Goblin and Doctor Doom and Galactus and all those things. So there's that. But then it also reads as a DC Comics Elseworlds, okay? So apparently, if you take the Marvel Universe and you don't have the Avengers and President Coulson is in charge, the Heroes Reborn Volume 2 world is a sideways view of the DC Universe. And it's kind of cool that way. It's not a parody of the DC Universe, but it is a riff on it. And it's a dark riff in a minor key, but it has a lot of Marvel characters doing things that are very DC. There are some characters who show up and you're like, wait a minute, that's a Marvel character, but he's acting like Joker (laughs) and, and it works. It works well. So it's a, it's a dark riff and you have a Superman who blindly follows truth, justice in the American way. And you have a Green Lantern who's thrown off center and stays off center and a speedster who can't concentrate on any one thing for very long because the world moves so slow for him. But it's again, kind of taking, okay, what if the justice league were here, you know, and, and we take them to their quote unquote logical conclusion or their quote unquote darkest logical conclusion. So anyway, all things considered, I recommend Heroes Reborn. And I don't know if I recommend going out and trying to track down every single issue, but if you have Marvel Unlimited, read it when it actually shows up. It's going to be a while before it shows up. Um, It will be collected into three volumes. There will be Heroes Reborn, Reborn, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That'll have the main series. And there'll be Heroes Reborn, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Companion Volume 1 and Companion Volume 2. It'll uh, collect all the spinoff materials. And I might do an episode about the spinoff comics. We'll see. It'll be a different kind of undertaking because it's actually 10 one-shots. And each one of those one-shots is going to be a complete story and its own thing. So we'll see if I do that. For now, it's time to say thank you for listening. It's time to say uh, I don't know exactly what's going to be happening in the future, but I do know there will be another Swamp Things episode coming soon because there is a couple more issues of the Swamp Thing comic that have come out since the last one. And there is some not man thing news, but manslaughter. You remember that one shot about manslaughter that I talked about? Well, he's back. And so um, he's back in the pages of X-Force. And that was kind of fun to see. And so, yeah, I'll be talking about those in in the near future. And like I said, I might be talking about the one shots here. After the credits, I'm going to talk a little bit about Coulson and his final fate. And just I'm I'm troubled by it. And I want to know why they've they've done what they've done with this character. So, yeah. So check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. And until next time, thank you so much for listening and Godspeed.
So if you stuck around with me, you are either interested to hear what I'm going to say about Coulson and the spoilers about Coulson's fate, or you just can't get to the stop button and you didn't have enough time because the end credit song isn't actually an end credit song. It's very, very short. So giving you some time right now because you don't want to be spoiled or because you do want to be spoiled or you don't care or you do care. I don't know. But the final fate of Coulson here is that the world gets reset and he is no longer president. But not only is he no longer president, there is the pandemonium cube that was used to change reality. And if a cube that changes reality is familiar to you, well, it should be. Apparently, this is another one. And he... When the universe resets, uh, I'm just going to read it, okay? Mephisto is talking to someone, and you have a page where you have the Mephisto dog thing, and it's talking to someone, and it's saying, I know what you're thinking. My minion was entrusted with my almighty Helahedron, <laughs> and still he failed, for which he now pays the price. So that's talking about Coulson, and the price that he's paying is he is trapped in the pandemonium cube. But this moment is about more than that. This was about bringing us all together from across the red gulfs between hells. This was about showing you all what can be done with the power of one Mephisto. Now imagine my dear brothers and sisters, all we could accomplish together. And that's what's setting up. And, and I'm going to exactly spoil everything about the last page. It's a nice, good turn to the page, a nice splash page. I was talking about, having a cliffhanger on the bottom right corner of the page. This is one where the dialogue stops with an ellipsis. And then when you turn the page to see the context of what this conversation is, it's pretty wild and pretty cool and not enough for me to buy Avengers because I'm assuming that's what we're going to be continuing this in with Jason Aaron. Uh, but enough for me to be like, what's going on with Coulson? And it looks like, He's in the cube, and actually his his body position reminds me of the Phantom Zone from the Superman movies. Um, it's not exactly like that because he's in a cube, not in a two-dimensional plane, but I've got Superman on the mind because I just watched uh, the original Superman movie recently. But he's trapped in there, and it's it's kind of this Twilight Zone-ish ending for him. I, I just don't know where they're going. I... I honestly thought about before recording this asking Jason Aaron, like what's why, why Coulson? Why did you do this with him? Were you asked to, were you told that this is what you have to do? Did you just want to find a noble character that could be, could take that heel turn and, and be bad. And it's not going to be as controversial as captain America saying hail Hydra, but it could also still have a little bit of an impact because everyone knows who Coulson is because even if they didn't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, they were aware of it. Is it because they're kind of poking fun at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, or poking fun at the noble character of Coulson and saying, ah, no one's that good. No one's that, you know, noble. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it, but it's well-written. And 
that keeps me in. You know, if if this was just a case of, ugh, I hate what they've done with this character, that'd be one thing. I, I probably wouldn't wouldn't follow it or I would follow it the way I was following it, where I didn't read Avengers number 18. I just knew and I was aware of what was going on with that. And so now I'm, I, I do this, I read this, and I'm thinking, okay, okay, this is well written, well done. I hate that Coulson is an evil president, <laughs> but, uh, but it ends with him. I mean, he, he has a nice battle with, with Captain America. He's on a flying car. It's not Lola. It's a, his presidential limo kind of thing. Um, but the guy, I mean, they have him just acting like a cackling evil something. But here's, here's what he says here. This is where you get his kind of, uh, his reasoning. Captain America and him are, are fighting on top of the, the flying car. And Captain America says, some sort of hellish cosmic cube. That explains a lot. You can tell us the rest under oath, Coulson, once we've put the world back in order. Coulson says, order? I brought order, the all-American kind, to a world that had languished in chaos ever since people like you showed up, Rogers. The Avengers, Earth's most overrated heroes. It had to be stopped. I've made a world where the heroes are more majestic than your people ever could ever be. And all it cost me was my soul, a small price to pay for a perfect world. Hail Mephisto. You know, to paraphrase, not Mike Olson. <laughs> Is it over the top? Yes. Is it the weakest part of everything here? I don't know about if it's the weakest part, but it is a weak link for me. Does it destroy this series? No, no, it doesn't. But I'd like to see Colson redeemed. <laughs> so anyway, that is my, uh, my take on what's going on with Colson in the Marvel universe, the 616. I hope I get a chance to see him be the Colson I know and love once more. And so once more for this episode, I say thank you for listening and I bid you Godspeed. Thank you.